get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. This podcast is supported by one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange platforms, Bybit.com. Sign up today and get up to $1,000 in bonuses and coupons. You can also join a $400,000 trading competition along with other contests where you can win Bitcoin prizes and so much more. Just go to bybit.jasonsherman.org to sign up. That's bybit.jasonsherman.org. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Eric Dickman, the Five Echelon Group, and he has a podcast called The Virtual CMO. Thanks for joining me today, Eric. Jason, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here. How's sunny Florida? <laughs> sunny Florida is nice. You know, we had a storm go through yesterday. It cooled off a little bit today. There'll be a cocktail on my porch later this afternoon, I can tell you that. I'm jealous. Here in cold Philadelphia, I am jealous. Trust me. So let's dive right into what it is you do for, for your business and how you discovered that you could monetize your business. So basically, the first moment you discovered, I can monetize my business. What was that moment? Yeah, it's a great question. Great place to start. So, you know, I had spent a lot of time in corporate America working with very large enterprise companies, but we all know that sort of the bread and butter of the economy are small and mid-sized businesses. There are so many that are out there, but many of them just really don't have a marketing function. They don't have a dedicated person who runs their marketing. They're not even sure what to do oftentimes. And so what I really wanted to do is I wanted to take some of the skills that I'd learned in the corporate world and start helping smaller and mid-sized businesses do a better job of their own marketing. And what I immediately saw was there's an opportunity there because it's usually somebody's second job. It's something that maybe the, the CEO or the, they have a VP of sales and marketing. It's somebody's side job. It's not their full-time responsibility. So they're looking for help. They, they don't know exactly what it is they need to do. Speaking of side jobs and figuring out how to kind of break that mold and, and get, get into a full-time position as an entrepreneur running a business, what are some of the things that you think entrepreneurs should look for when it comes to, again, like quitting their job and starting a business full-time? Or what, what are some of the things that you found helped you kind of, you know, get out of that situation and start doing your business full-time? You know, it's so interesting because I think people tend to fall in one of two camps. It's either the cold turkey camp where they decide one day, I'm no longer going to do the corporate thing. I'm going to go start my own business. And the other is a more methodical planned approach that says, you know, next year I want to start my own business. So I'm going to start laying the foundation. I strongly advocate for the second, you know, building that foundation, getting ready for it really allows you to have the pieces in place to be successful kind of from day one, start the, or hit the ground running, so to speak. On the other hand, not everybody's able to do that. Sometimes, you know, there was a layoff. Sometimes that there was a change in business factors. You just couldn't stand your boss, whatever it may be, and you're just forced into it. And sometimes that can propel you as well. So I've seen people be successful both ways. But if, if I had the choice, I would lay that foundation first before you jump into it. I totally agree with you. I always tell people that they should be starting a business while they have a job, while they have a buffer, while they have some sort of, you know, backup plan and, you know, see if it succeeds while you're working. And then if you start to earn enough income or generating some revenue while you're working, then eventually you can quit your job and then do the startup full time. Now, this begs me to under, you know, to think about the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Sure, it's starting to finally subside, but it, it, it almost sounds like people are starting businesses now because they have the time and a lot of them got laid off. So do you think that, you know, being laid off from your job 
you know, not only is it, is it a good thing for you to start a business, but do you think that maybe when you're forced to figure something out, it's a good time to start a business or is it a, is it time to reevaluate maybe what you should become an expert in? Is it maybe a time to validate your market before you start a business or, or is it all three? I think for a lot of people, especially people in the corporate world, the reason that they don't do it is not because they don't have dreams, aspirations, passions, you know, to get out there and do something. Maybe they've always wanted to start that business, open that restaurant, whatever it may be. But there's this illusion, and it really is an illusion, that there is security in these corporate jobs, in working for these big companies. And I think the pandemic has shown that there isn't that security, that it's really not there. When the going gets tough, companies are going to cut back on staff, reduce hours. They're going to make some pretty drastic changes to stay afloat because especially for public companies, you know, they've got a responsibility to their shareholders. They've got to make that money. And for private businesses, you know, somebody is unlikely to go under supporting a team that, you know, the business no longer supports. It's just a tough decision to make. So I see that this pandemic has helped a lot of people realize that and to say, hey, I'm working from home. I can do this. I can take my idea, my passion, and turn it into a business, what better time? And I, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes to that lack of security that maybe existed in their old jobs. 100% agree with you. And of course, during the process of these people starting these businesses, and, and you and I both started businesses many times, there are challenges along the way. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the, the hurdles and the obstacles they had to face and they had to overcome to get to a certain point. What were some of the biggest or the biggest challenge that you faced that you, you know, came across while you were starting your business full time? I think there are two things that I would focus on there. I think the first is just getting over some of those initial fears of going out on your own, telling the world that you're, that you've started a business, you know, I think there's a lot of worry that there's going to be rejection, that people are going to be critical of you. And in fact, there's a lot of support out there. People are very encouraging and they like to see that you're out there trying something new. But I think deep down in a lot of us, we've got a lot of insecurities there and making that initial announcement to the world said, hey, I'm going out on my own. That can be a tough uh, hurdle to overcome. And I think the second one is that we tend to stick in a tribe. And one of the biggest things that can help you when you're starting a business is having a strong network, people in different areas of business that can really help you out. Go to people if you need this service or this product, people that you know you've, that you trust. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we get very cocooned and we just sort of interact with the people oftentimes within our same company, especially if it's a large corporate environment, and don't build that network outside to really help us when we become entrepreneurs. So basically get out of your comfort zone and talk to people who you normally wouldn't talk to. Yeah, build those relationships while you can. And then when you need them, they're there. That's not a bad idea. And of course, networking nowadays is tough to do because you can't really network. So I guess it's more about uh, joining groups online and maybe having some Zoom calls with different groups and talking to people, you know, FaceTiming, emailing, just trying to get out there really. I guess that's the option they have nowadays. Now, let's say you had a time machine, right? And you can go back in time and you could choose the moment you made the largest mistake of your business. What would that be and how would you have avoided it in the first place? Yeah, so I think the largest mistake that I've made sort of in business in general is not taking action soon enough. I think it falls back to that that 
comfort zone, whether it's been when I've been an entrepreneur to say, oh, well, let's just give it a little bit longer before I uh, make a pivot or a change, or whether it was in the corporate life to say, well, let's give it a couple more years and see where things go. I think oftentimes it's so hard to break out of that comfort zone that we fail to take action and waste time. And so if I could go back in time, first of all, I would have become an entrepreneur years ago. I would have left, I was in my, uh, my longest running corporate job for almost 18 years. I would have, you know, cut that much shorter, taken that experience, gone out and become an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, I would have looked at my roadmap and said, okay, I've put some time and investment into, you know, maybe this marketing channel or I made this attempt at a business. It's not working out. I need to pivot and try something else sooner rather than just lingering. So really it was time. You would have spent less time at the corporate world and jumped in. And you know, that's, that, that happens to everybody. It seems like everyone always says the same thing. They say, I wish I did this sooner. I wish I started earlier. And you know, but the truth is, and we both have to admit this and tell people this who's listening is that it's never too late. No, it's never, it's never too late to try something new. It's never too late to start a business. It's never too late to learn something and research something. It doesn't matter how old you are. It just matters that you put the time and the energy in. If there's an opportunity to pivot your business, let me just throw in a real quick dumb example. Um, COVID has, has made a mess of a lot of things, right? Businesses have been severely hurt, but you also see businesses that have pivot. Go to the grocery store and look at all those temporary plexiglass shields that are up in front of the cash registers. I can guarantee you that that didn't come from a plexiglass shield company. That came from a sign company or a frame company or something else that had access to those materials and said, hey, there's a need for this. Let's jump in and do this. And that's the kind of thing that you have to look for as an entrepreneur. Where is an opportunity? Sometimes they can spring up very quickly and you've got to be uh, ready and nimble enough to pivot, pivot on those, take advantage of them. Absolutely. Look for pain points and gaps in the market that you can fill a need. Yep. And uh, I had a, I had a mentor, you know, speaking of starting earlier or wishing you started earlier, I wish, you know, there was a piece of information that I had that was given to me by a mentor that I wished I had gotten much sooner. And it was basically to delegate my tasks to people and stop doing all the work myself, give up some of the control because I wasn't able to scale my business. I wasn't able to move to another level, you know, and, and, you know, reach more goals because I was so, you know, just focused on doing everything myself and keeping the control. So if I could give myself a piece of information, it'd be to go back and start delegating tasks. If you could give yourself a piece of information when you first started, that would have helped you move quicker, you know, be more successful faster. What would that information be? Yeah, that's a great one that you brought up as well. I would, I would totally agree with that. I think it's a piece of information that I share with a lot of people, but it's hard to put into practice is sell first, worry about the infrastructure pieces later. You know, we can, if you talk to any aspiring entrepreneur, they're working on their logo, they're working on their business cards, getting that website done, you know, all these things, because, you know, you're sort of in your own little world again, you're in that little cocoon, you're doing all these things. It's fun. It feels like you're making progress, but you're not really selling anything. The idea is you want to get that revenue coming in as soon as possible. There will be time to build out that website, to get that fancy business card, to, you know, get a, get a new logo, whatever it may be. But that doesn't always have to be day one. Start working as soon as possible on ways to generate revenue and then start to pick up those pieces as you go instead of waiting six, nine, 12 months to get all those pieces in place and then wondering where your business is. 
Love it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Too many entrepreneurs spend too much time building, building, building and not selling, selling, selling. I agree with yep. you. And so there must have been a moment in time where you hit a wall and you might have been depressed. You might have wanted to give up. You, you just you wanted to throw in the towel. You got beat down too many times and you wanted to give up. What got you through that moment? What was the, the thing that made you want to get up the next day and keep going? It's so tough as an entrepreneur because in many ways you're in it alone. You know, you may have family or a supportive spouse or maybe even some good friends who you can talk to, but many times they're not involved in the business in the same way that you are. And so it's a bit of a lonely path. You are the one that's the most invested in your journey. And I think for me, the toughest times come, you know, when you're putting in all this effort, you know, you're doing the right things, but you're not seeing the results and you, you just start to question yourself, you know, should I be doing this? Is this the right path for me? And I think the rewarding thing that makes me get up the next day is just seeing those little signs that, you know, it's working. You know, it might not be fireworks in the sky, kind of big deals, cash, you know, falling down from the trees, but you can see the little investments that you're putting in over time. They're starting to make a difference. You're starting to build a brand. You're starting to get recognition. People are starting to call you instead of you calling them. All of these things create momentum and those little pieces of momentum are the things that you need to pick up and build on because they're the results of the effort that you've put in previously. You know, and that, that actually brings up a good point. You're saying little things are coming up and that's making you realize it's working. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they have a bigger mindset, a bigger picture kind of goal orientation. And that can be a recipe for disaster because they're like, well, I didn't build that app and nobody's using it, or I didn't make that movie because no, no one's funding it or whatever it is. But if you can have actionable items that are smaller and attainable within a shorter t time frame, then maybe that's a good way for people to, you know, achieve those results and see those small little milestones to make them want to get up the next day. And I think that really poses a good, uh, that's, that's a really good kind of, uh, you know, focal point for entrepreneurs is to, instead of looking at the bigger picture, look at the smaller picture and, and kind of achieve those smaller little, those smaller results, I think. It's the journey, right? Not the destination. You want to see success all along the way. And sometimes, you know, like as a marketing guy, I pay a lot of attention to my website and, you know, I go into Google analytics and I see, oh yeah, traffic is going up. It's going up. It's going up. Well, it's going up for a reason. There are other things that are going on that are drawing people into the website. That's good. You might not see it translate into, like I said, you know, dollars falling from the sky, but they'll eventually come in if you can start to build on those things and you've got a plan in place. Yeah. And you can, and you could probably uh, dive even deeper into like, say a marketing plan when it comes to, uh, you know, say you want to advertise your mobile app, right? And, and you want to target a certain demographic of, of say 35 years old to 45 years old and you're, you're targeting them and you want to get like 100,000 people to download your app. That's a big goal, yep. right? So, how, you know, what kind of marketing in between are you going to be, you know, adding to your list as smaller action? Well, give me an example of like actionable items that you would put on a list of marketing tasks to reach your goal that have nothing to do with reaching 100,000 users. Like what would be like before that, right? And, and that's a lot, that's, this is the thing that entrepreneurs need to hear because 99.9% .9 of them that come to me, their goal is to reach 100,000 or a million users in like a day. And I'm like, guys, you, you have, 
you know, weeks and months or even a year of, of, of work before you even get to that point. So what, what are some of those things that we would tell them? We live in such a noisy environment where there's so much advertising, there's so much content. We are just being bombarded by messages. When you're an entrepreneur, you've got a new product or a new brand. You know, it's very hard to stand out from the crowd. It's very hard to make enough noise to get those 100,000 downloads. You have to build it slowly. And the best way to do that is to focus on a very narrow targeted niche where you can put your maximum effort because you're not going to have this huge budget to go after the market as a whole. So you've got to be very specific, very focused. And then you try to figure out what can I do? Can I talk to some journalists maybe in the space that cover that? See if maybe they'll make a mention of it. Can I get on some podcasts? Can I do some blogging? You know, can I get on some clubhouse channels or other places where I can talk about what I'm doing and slowly but surely you'll start to raise the visibility. People will start to have questions and you'll start to build that awareness and it, it begins to steamroll over time. But if you try to blanket the market all at once and try to get, you know, downloads from everywhere, it, it's too hard. There's too much noise out there. It's too expensive. And everybody listening right now should take note of what Eric just said. Every single point he just mentioned had nothing to do with spending money. Mm. So that's the part I think that is most important is blogging doesn't cost any money. Making a podcast doesn't cost any money. Posting you know, content, reaching out to journalists on Twitter doesn't cost any money, right? So they're, they're so focused on posting ads and spending money on videos and spending money on this and that and the other thing. They're forgetting that that's not how you get a target market. That's how you advertise to a global market, but to, to really hone in on a niche market, like you mentioned, you really got to figure out who they are first. And by doing that is everything you mentioned. Let them come to you through content generation. And make a plan, right? If, it's, if you're just doing this stuff off the cuff, off the top of your head, it's very hard to be successful at it. You know, you can read the table of contents of a book and get the general idea of it, but it's the nuance, right? It's the little details that are buried in the paragraphs and the chapters that, that you won't get by just taking that high-level view. And sometimes what you really need to do is build out that detailed plan, understand your target market, understand your ideal customer, and then how you can go after very specifically uh, to reach them. Now, something that a lot of people seem to struggle with when it comes to running a business is working with others, whether it's employees or co-founders. I mean, look at what happened with the social network, you know, Facebook, you know, that was a huge, you know, debacle. And I've faced that myself. I've had lots of arguments with co-founders. I've had to part ways with a lot of people I worked with. What about you when it comes to managing employees or working with co-founders or partners? What are the ups and downs? What is it easy? Is it hard? What have you found as to be the challenges? That kind of thing. Well, you know, like many who are in the entrepreneurial space, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So like you were talking about before, delegating things can sometimes be a challenge because there's a way that I like to see it done. And if it's not done just that way, then I feel like I've got to get in and do it, which kind of defeats the purpose of delegation. So part of it is just relaxing a little bit and saying it doesn't always have to be your way. You know, the old saying, you know, opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. You know, yours isn't necessarily right. It's just a way of doing something. So giving teams the freedom to try different things, to experiment, maybe do it in a little bit different way than you had envisioned and see how it goes. And then I would say the second part of that would be find people who can 
augment areas that you're already strong. So if you're a technical guy, but not a creative guy, bring in some creative people to sort of help you offset those areas where you're weak and become stronger as a team than anyone as an individual. If you bring a lot of clones of yourself in, that's a, that's a recipe for friction, I think, because then everybody has, is strongly passionate about the very same things and you're going to end up with some conflict. I agree hundred percent. I can't even add on to anything because I would say the same exact thing. Now let's have some fun here. Uh, there's uh, something called the aha moment, right? And everybody has it at one point in their life when they realize, oh my God, this is what I always dreamed of. I finally succeeded. I know my aha moment very clearly. What was yours? You know, it was funny because it's a relatively simple thing. So I'm a marketing guy, geek out on marketing kinds of things. And when you're starting a company from scratch, literally, what is the five echelon group? Nobody knows. You know, you've got to sort of explain what that is. You've got to build a web presence. You've got to do all this. So I think my big aha moment was when somebody filled out that first contact form and said, hey, I'm really interested in your services. It's like, it's working. You know, people are coming, they're finding my content, they're, they're seeing the value of the services that I provide. And I didn't spend a nickel to do, do that. I just kept doing exactly what I advise my clients to do. And that was really an aha moment for me. You know, that's a great example of a success, right? People always seem to, when I say people, I'm generalizing the overall population of the world seem to think success is becoming a millionaire, for example. And I always tell people that's just not the case. You know, success is exactly what you mentioned. Somebody contacting you, somebody reaching out to you on your YouTube channel, someone sending you an email saying they want to interview you for an article, right? I didn't, you know, talk to this journalist. They're, they're contacting me type of thing, you know? So I think people need to understand what you just said is success comes in many forms. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be the little things that you realize you have value, that you're adding to society in some way and people notice it and they're reaching out to you, that's success. So they should definitely look into that. And when it comes to running a business, because you know, you and I are both entrepreneurs, we work for ourselves. Uh, what do you think are the perks, the advantages of running a business? Like what, you know, what do you like about it? So I've been one of the lucky ones. Even when I was in the corporate world, I worked primarily remotely. So I've been an at-home worker for many, many years and have sort of gotten into the flow. When COVID came along, it was not that big a deal. But, you know, the biggest thing about owning a business and being an entrepreneur that I am really passionate about is that work-life balance. I really believe that we work to live, not live to work. And although you can find a lot of passion and purpose in your work, and I'm a firm believer in working to add value to others, but you do it also so that you can have a thriving personal life, you know, that you can build those contacts, that you can, you know, have time with friends and family, that every, you know, spare minute of your day isn't spent at your desk doing business work. And I'm, I'm really passionate about work-life balance. And I think that is much easier to achieve as a business owner if you plan for it. Yeah, you know, that's another good point because there's so many millionaires out there that are telling people, oh, you got to hustle, 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 seven day work weeks, 12 hours a day or 16 hours a day. And I'm like, that's just not, that's burnt. You're going to get burned out. And sure. At one point, all of us had to do the 12 hour days and the, you know, seven days we had to all of us. But once you get past that, you realize it's toxic. You're not going to, you're not going to be worth it. So work-life balance is very important. You know, I always tell people, 
they should be doing some sort of daily exercise, you know, eating healthy. You know, personally, I like to do yoga and meditate, play the piano, walk my dog, cook healthy meals, and make sure that I'm detaching myself from a computer or detaching myself from the phone. After dinner, I shut my phone off completely. I don't answer any, any you know, no social media. Like, I really try to detach, and I think people need to start doing that more and enjoying the actual reality of the world versus, you know, electronics and social media, which is very impersonal and it can make people depressed. So I'm glad to hear that you're, you're balancing your life. What are some of the things you do when you're not working? Like not just, you know, spending time with your family, but what are some of the things you do to detach from your, your job and from your, from your life in general? Well, it's funny because everything obviously has been thrown off uh, with COVID and uh, the lack of uh, the ability that we've had to travel and whatnot, but I love doing simple things like going out to eat with friends or uh, I'm a big bourbon guy. So I, I love to go and try a new bourbon with somebody sit out on the patio or next to a fire pit and do that. I love the outdoors, love to ski, love to hike, love to camp, really explore different parts of the country and, and do traveling uh, when I can. I just enjoy a quiet afternoon out by the pool, pull up a book and, you know, or I'll pull out a book and, and read that and just enjoy the nice weather. I'm a firm believer in every day, at least at some point, even if it's only for a walk around the block, you want to get outside a little bit, stretch those legs, you know, breathe in the air. But there is something so rejuvenating, I think, about getting out in nature. You know, I'm a guy, so I like fire, right? So, but I, I'm amazed how you can sit by a campfire, poke it with a stick, for hours on end. And there is just something incredibly soothing and enjoyable about that while you listen to the crickets chirp and the, and the pine logs pop. There's just something about that, that, that just refreshes you. That's because it brings you back to the days of the caveman, right? It's a primal, it's a primal urge to start the fire. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's part of it. I really do. And I'm jealous. You have a pool. Yeah. Well, I just just learned that right now. You have a pool and I actually, I think I see the reflection of it. It, it might be, you might see it in the, in the background there. It's a little cold still, you know, it's, it's okay. not quite, uh, quite ready to jump in, but give it a week or two and it'll be there. Man, I would love to have a pool. Trust me. So let's, uh, let's tell some entrepreneurs, some words of wisdom that you might have that you learned over the years, uh, maybe something inspirational that will help entrepreneurs reach their dreams like we have as well. So I'm a firm believer in that we learn from our mistakes more so than our successes but that doesn't mean that you have to make all the mistakes yourself. Oftentimes, you can hear words of wisdom from mentors, from people who have been there before you have, and they can help advise you on things not to do, and that helps you in your business journey. And so I would advise entrepreneurs to do things like listen to podcasts like this, to get on things like Clubhouse where you can talk with other people who are maybe in a similar situation, you know, uh, read books, or audio books, or whatever. There's so much knowledge out there, but carve out time during your day to, to absorb it. Don't get into your own world where your opinions are based strictly on what's going on inside your head. Make sure you get some outside influence to validate your thinking, to validate your ideas. I have seen so many really talented people go out of business or really suffer because they have been so close to their product that they don't even see the faults of their product, their faults of their marketing approach, their faults of their sales approach, because they're getting no outside influence at all. You know, I mentioned that so many times in my course and my book and everything is to research, learn, 
educate yourself, become an expert in things. And you just hit the nail on the head. Once again, it's get outside of your head, learn what the world has to offer and absorb as much knowledge as you can, and then share it with others along the journey as you, you know, figure out how to do it for yourself. So I want to have a shameless plug for you. Uh, is there anything that people need to know about you, a place to check you out online or any kind of offerings you have? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, certainly, if you're a business, you're struggling with your marketing, don't know what to do, I'm more than happy to sit down on a phone call with you, just walk through what your plans are, what your goals are, and see if there's any way that I can help. Best way to do that is just to go to my website. It's fiveechelon.com uh, slash free. And there's a uh, sign up form there where you can schedule some time to, uh, to talk. And I'd love it if you check out the podcast as well. It's called the virtual CMO. It's on Apple podcasts, Google, uh, Spotify, whichever player you like to use the virtual CMO. It's there. Awesome. Everybody has the information. So get on it and start listening, start downloading, and I'll see you guys all in next week's episode. Thanks again for coming, Eric. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting patreon.com slash strap on your boots to become a member and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.